0: mindfulness mode.
1: It's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to show the dark parts of yourself and things that happen to you.
0: Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Today we have an author on the show, and I think you'll you'll think the title of her book is quite interesting. But let me tell you a little bit about the author, first of all. Uh, She's a nurse turned author who faced numerous major health scares in the past five years, including a traumatic brain injury, which happened in 2021. And this brain injury led her to delve into her past and she discovered complex post-traumatic stress disorder that had been there since her childhood. And she was so determined to heal, she went ahead and she explored various trauma healing methods over the next year and a half. And her book is called, No, I'm Not Fine. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, I'm laughing, but of course it's not funny. It's not funny at all to be going through uh, this kind of thing and to experience trauma and everything else. And she's been uh, generous enough to share what she's learned with the world. And Uh, I'm just so grateful that she's done that, and I'm so grateful to have Laura here with us today. This is Laura Renner. Laura, are you in mindfulness mode today? I absolutely am. Thank you so much, Bruce. You're welcome. And what does mindfulness mean to you, Laura?
1: You know, mindfulness was something that I never really had a concept of, probably until about a year and a half ago. Um, And for me, it really just means connecting with your body and with your thoughts and really just kind of making that connection to how much it impacts your daily life, Uh, being positive, being happy, how your mood reflects your outlook and how you feel, and really trying to embody that on a daily basis.
0: Yes. Laura, can you tell us more about this brain injury that happened in 2021?
1: Absolutely. So um, it was a seemingly, you know, innocent accident. I was actually playing with one of my friend's kids, we were just kind of spinning around and I ended up falling backwards and hitting my head on stone. And as a nurse, if anyone listening is a nurse, you can resonate that nurses typically just don't go to the hospital. We kind of avoid it at all costs. And we're really good at talking ourselves out of more emergent situations. And in the moment, I didn't lose consciousness. I felt okay. My head bled a little bit, but heads are very vascular. I, was, I wasn't concerned. It wasn't until the next day when I woke up and I had huge bruising underneath both eyes and I fell hitting the back of my head. So that was scary. And I remembered from nursing school that that usually means a skull fracture. And so it took some convincing to go to the hospital. First, I went to urgent care. My boyfriend went along with me, although he knew that that wasn't the right uh, thing to do at the time. When I ended up getting seen at the hospital, um, at first they thought, well, you're fine. You're cognitively fine. You're passing all the neuro exams, all of that. But given the fact that I was having a couple symptoms, mostly really just the eye bruising, they decided to give me a CT scan. And when I saw the results of the CT scan, my heart just stopped because I knew as a nurse how serious it was. I had multiple bleeds on multiple levels of my brain that were pushing my brain down towards my brainstem and come to find out from my neurosurgeon, I would have died the next day if I hadn't gone into the hospital. Wow. So I had to have brain surgery. And through that time, I really just, it didn't hit me. I was still just kind of in shock mode. I kind of went into nurse mode knowing, okay, this is something that I have to get done. This is just what it is and kind of just compartmentalizing it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I got home and really started experiencing a lot of the symptoms and started having a lot of significant complications that it really set in that not only did I almost die, but my life might be different forever.
0: And And what were some of the symptoms and some of the complications?
1: Sure, so um, the symptoms were just kind of, I hate to say standard uh, traumatic brain injury symptoms, but uh, migraines, a lot of pain, Um, a lot of difficulty with stimulation, lights, noise, people, I really kind of had to shut down and just kind of put a hard stop to my life, which was really challenging for me as someone who is very independent and like to be busy. And so it really kind of forced me to just kind of sit and heal, which was one of the most challenging parts of the process. And the complications that really kind of put into perspective how severe everything was at the time was um, I had a seizure. After my surgery, um, I also developed a life-threatening complication called Stevens-Johnson syndrome, which happens as a result of a medication that could be fatal. And to top it off, I ended up developing a new brain bleed and was facing another surgery. So when I thought that I was healing, when I thought that I was you know, really slowing down and doing all the things to, to heal and to get back to who I was, I wasn't. I was still overdoing it. And I had to basically go on like a modified bed rest. So after brain injury, you're really supposed to be low stimulation, no screens, anything like that. And so I wasn't allowed to go for walks. I couldn't do basic things around the house. I was just forced to sleep and just kind of stare at the ceiling. And that's really when the depression and the panic and all of that sunk in. And I knew I actually, for a while, I wish that I had died. I was just very, very low and deeply depressed. And thankfully, one day, I had the realization that if I don't do something about my mindset, then this could kill me. And I need to start really shifting my thoughts, really believing that I can heal, and believing that things are going to get better. Otherwise, they're not going to.
0: Wow. And what were some of the... Uh, Specific trauma healing methods that you tried?
1: So I went through the whole gamut, and it's really interesting because I really kind of started with mindset work, and I knew I always had anxiety and depression throughout most of my life, but I didn't really have the why for it. Mm -hmm. And as I started getting deeper into audiobooks and podcasts around those topics, a lot of them talked about trauma survivors, and I realized how much I resonated with a lot of the behaviors and a lot of the things that happened to a lot of these trauma survivors and I had never resonated with the word trauma. I knew that things had happened in my life but I just never really considered it from that from that framing. And once I dug deeper and realized there was abuse in my childhood, I almost died as a kid. I had a lot of other significant things happen. I also had a very traumatic job as a neonatal intensive care unit nurse. And So I I knew that I had to get into trauma healing. So I started exploring somatic experiencing therapy, um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, craniosacral therapy, neurofeedback, hypnotherapy. I basically went through the gamut of everything that I could from a therapeutic perspective. But then also at home, I really got deep into mindfulness and mind-body connection and meditation because I knew that getting my mind right and healing my body was the start to really getting on that trauma healing journey.
0: And Laura, which of those worked and which of those didn't really seem to work at all?
1: Great question. So I think trauma healing, it's so individualized. So I don't want to say, go ahead and just do all these and this is going to cure you because that's not the case. For me, somatic experiencing was really the first one that I explored. And that was the perfect therapy for me at the perfect time. I think I loved EMDR, but and it, I had really tremendous breakthroughs with it, but I don't think I was ready for it at that time. Somatic experiencing therapy, it's essentially like body psychotherapy. So um, there's a lot of research dating all the way back to the 70s about how your body stores trauma in kind of like an acute stressful state. And so somatic experiencing allows you to release, you know, release that trauma. And that can be in the form of muscle tension, pain, dissociation, all kinds of things and you don't necessarily have to identify what the trauma is or the reason for why, which was really helpful for me as I was getting into it. So that one was very paramount and I still do forms of somatic therapy to this day. Um, EMDR was really great at getting deep into root causes for why I had so much shame and self-worth issues and perfectionist uh, behaviors, a lot of things, and a lot of difficulty regulating emotions, a lot of things that come with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, that was kind of the next therapy that I stepped into. The one that didn't work for me, although it does have a lot of positive effects for a lot of people was hypnotherapy. And that was unfortunately the result of, I didn't have a therapist who was aligned, I guess, with the path of healing for me. And what I mean by that was, I uncovered some abuse and repressed memories that I didn't know happened in my childhood and i went into a full panic attack and instead of helping to regulate me calm me down help me feel safe she kept kind of pushing me to dig deeper and kind of sent me into a tailspin and i felt very unsafe and unsupported and lack of safety in my body and in myself has really been the most important significant thing that i've discovered through all of this healing journey that i was lacking and so that was really hard and really challenging but I know that hypnotherapy is something that works for a lot of people. It can be really helpful. But just unfortunately for me at that time and the way that it kind of all came about, it had really the opposite effects and effects, and actually set me back at the time.
0: Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that because I do hypnotherapy myself. And I know it's so important to just be there for the client and, and help them feel safe. And if you go into a, a danger place like that, yeah, it's just very, very crucial to help the the client through it. So yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Tell me at what point you thought to yourself, I'm putting this all together into a book. And what was that process like for you? Were you sort of on and off? Or did you just, you got the idea and it's like, yes, I'm doing it.
1: You know, it's, it's funny because I've had, really since 2017, a lot of bizarre health problems and a lot of weird things that happened in my life. And so I've had many people over the years say, you should write a book. And uh, yeah, it just kind of never really resonated. But then during my healing journey, so many books about trauma can be so dense and heavy and really traumatizing and hard to get through. Not to say that they're bad, but they can just going through the ins and outs and deep details of these really serious, severe things that happen to people can be so hard to stomach, especially if it's something that you can relate to that you've experienced. And so I love that you laughed at my title because that's exactly the reaction that I want. My book is yes, it's about trauma, but I also want it to be lighthearted and have funny moments because I want it to be something that someone can get through and that can be relatable. So that was, that was really important to me, but essentially last year I tried to go back to nursing um, about four months after my traumatic brain injury, which was far too soon. I, I, there were months when I couldn't do math. I was having trouble speaking, word finding. I was having a lot of issues and I kind of got thrown back into work, even in a limited capacity. And it was just wrong. Everything mm-hmm. about it was wrong. It exposed how unhealthy I was as a nurse, how I really just was not going to be able to heal my brain and heal my body and heal my trauma in that type of working environment. And I started therapeutic writing, especially After the brain injury, I started with journaling and initially it just started as a way to kind of test my memory. I would write down the things that I had done the day before, see if I could remember them and go back. And then one day that just shifted into more writing about how I was feeling, writing about how much I was struggling, how hard it was to stay positive and truly believe that when I'm healing or that I'm healing when I'm struggling so much. And then I just kept writing and writing and writing. And then the writing turned to typing. And then I just realized, you know, this book could really help people. I don't think we societally talk enough about trauma and anxiety and mental health while there's a lot more traction now than there was in the past. It's still new. And especially for my book, I got very vulnerable and very raw with some the experiences that happened to me, but also just my mind and my thoughts and how severe they were towards myself. And I think talking about this more... And seeing that, oh, this isn't just me and oh, this is something that I can heal and get better and shift, I think is really important.
0: Your website is laurarenner.me, L-A-U-R-A-R-E-N-N-E-R, laurarenner.me. And on that website, I thought this was terrific because you offer a resource, a free resource. It's your ultimate roadmap for therapy resources. Tell us more about that resource and about creating it for your uh, people who, well, they could be total strangers, but anyone who wants to go there can have an opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I found a lot of free resources, but also um, just a lot of networks to finding resources for therapies because, or that's what I include in that guide, because it's so overwhelming to get started with trauma healing and really just therapy in general. If you're new to it, there's so many options. It can be really hard to think I should start with this. Uh, I should start with this. I do need to do all this at once. So I basically compiled um, a list of the, a lot of the resources that I like to use summer on YouTube. So there's, um, the meditation, what, uh, website that I like to use through YouTube. It's um, my piece of mindfulness. I do their meditations daily. They're free. They go anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes and beyond. Um, I'm also a big fan of emotional freedom technique tapping. That's another great nervous system regulator. And Brad Yates is amazing and such a wonderful resource. Tapping is another thing that I do every day. And he offers free videos, from five minutes to 10 minutes. And so I include those specifics and kind of the the reason why they're important and also just the links to access them. And also just various um, different resources for all the forms of therapy. So another form of therapy that I did was neurofeedback and craniosacral therapy. I include, websites to access kind of directories to find therapists for all of those and same with somatic experiencing and emdr for yourselves so you can kind of look up someone local to be able to connect with really just so you have that information presented to you and can kind of make the decision for what feels most aligned for you and also just kind of techniques for things to do at home i'm a big fan of there's an app called um interbalance and it's made through HeartMath. And that's all about nervous system regulation and deep breathing and heart rate variability. And they go very deep into the science of it, which you don't have to, but essentially it's just uh, talks all about the importance of deep breathing. And it's a guide and a cueing system that you can use to regulate your uh, nervous system, do some deep breathing and kind of bring your heart rate down when you're in kind of more elevated places
0: right well i always ask a question about bullying on my show do you have a story about that topic maybe it ties in with this whole topic of trauma but where mindfulness would have made a difference
1: yes um i mean i have plenty of stories of being bullied in childhood from you know extended family members friends things like that in school but i would say the biggest realization that i had was how much i bullied myself I developed at an early age this just what I refer to and I write about this in my book The Inner Critic. And my inner critic would essentially just basically use negativity and I would use my own negative thoughts to try and inspire my inspire myself to do something. So for instance, I would make myself feel bad about not exercising that day or if I said something that I thought was stupid in hindsight and I would basically just bully myself as a means to I guess, try and prevent myself from doing these things in the future. But in reality, it just kept me in this negative loop and negative cycle of feeling bad all the time, feeling worthless, you know, lots of shaming. And through all of the deep mindset work and shifting that I've done from various books, podcasts, all the things, I have been able to really quiet those voices and quiet those thoughts and it's taken a lot of intentional work to get to this point now because it was so deeply ingrained in my brain to think and act this way towards myself. But I've been able to really accept myself and love myself and treat myself so much better than ever before. And that's been really profound for my healing.
0: Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. In your book, No, I'm Not Fine. Thank you. Was, what was the toughest thing for you to include in this book? the most difficult thing, something that maybe you thought and thought and thought about it, and you just finally ended up including it?
1: You know, I can't speak to one specific point, because I think the whole part of just being truly vulnerable, sharing my deepest fears, thoughts, how I treated myself, how I responded to all of the traumatic things that happened in my life and how, and also how I let people treat me very poorly. Um, I talk about bad relationships that I had friendships and, um, my previous marriage and things like that. And so just fully exposing all of that was really challenging for me because I've always been a perfectionist. I've always been someone who I have to be pull together. I have to look like I have it together. I have to show that I'm good and that I'm great. And that is what I valued about myself. And so kind of breaking that down and exposing just how much I was struggling, how much I still am struggling, how much I'm still working through and still healing. I'm not just, you know, snap fully healed. I'm still on that journey and showing that I am a work in progress and that I was really this horrible to myself in a lot of respects and this cruel to myself was really scary. And knowing that anyone can read it, that was, that was a little tough at times, but I also was able to shift it by recognizing just how important these topics are. And the more people who are courageous enough to share the deep depths and scariest parts of their life, it really can significantly change mental health and trauma healing for numerous people.
0: I want to ask you when your book was first released and how that felt to you when that book first went out so that anybody and everybody could read it.
1: You know, it was pretty surreal because outside of my editing team, no one had read it. My boyfriend hadn't read it, my family, my friends, no one had read it. People knew roughly what I was talking about, but no one really knew what it was about. And so it was just kind of this uh-oh like here we go kind of really having no expectations for how it was going to be received. I thought it was really important to write similarly to how I speak and make it very much genuinely me. And so I was hoping that that at least would help, but also I I didn't know how my family would react to some of the things that I write about with my childhood experience. I didn't know how my friends were going to react. I really just didn't know how people were going to react and that was scary, but Thankfully, it's been an overwhelmingly supportive response from even strangers. Um, It's sparked a lot of conversations with people that I know about their own mental health and things that they've been struggling with that they we had never talked about in the past. And who knows if they had talked about it with other people, but it's been really inspiring to see how much that this has also allowed other people to open up about their struggles as well.
0: What would you say to somebody who says, oh, trauma, that word, I can't stand that. Everybody's talking about trauma, trauma, trauma. What would you say?
1: You know, that was me in so many respects. So unfortunately, (laughs) especially working as a nurse, I saw trauma on a daily basis. So I was like, come on, trauma, whatever. Like we all have, like we all deal with it, but it's not that big of a deal. And that was because I just had no awareness as to how, much that it had impacted pretty much every facet of my life. And so I think it's something that we all need to be open minded about, whether you recognize that you have trauma in your life or don't, understanding that we've all been through some really heavy stuff and maybe are still going through really heavy stuff right now. And that has really shaped who we are, how we respond to things, how we are to other people. And so I think the biggest thing is to just be open to it, be open to exploring, be open to learning about it. And Just see where that takes you and how it benefits you.
0: Tell us about your personal growth right now and the journey you're on as you continue.
1: So I am in a constant state of doing personal development work. Um, I journal every day. I come up with kind of my daily goals, my monthly goals, weekly goals, all kinds of things. I'm constantly taking courses and doing stuff to improve my mental health, my spiritual health, my mindset, And to just kind of get more aligned with the path and the way that I want to live my life. And so right now I'm taking two personal development courses and I'm doing a lot of just personal research on things like gut health, uh, neuroplasticity, neuroscience, stress physiology, things that benefit me and I can also hopefully teach and help others with as well.
0: I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Laura, so just 30-second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life?
1: Ooh, I, you know, I would say Joe Dispenza, that, uh, the first book that I read, uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, really was what inspired me to go down this journey and completely transform my life.
0: Well, let's talk about your emotions. How has mindfulness changed how you deal with your emotions?
1: Mindfulness allowed me to recognize that I have emotions. I think I never really was able to express or identify emotions. I would just, I was constantly just frustrated and afraid to cry and afraid to show any feelings or even feel them for that matter. And so, mindfulness has allowed me to recognize how important, not only just important emotions are, but how important expressing and feeling your emotions are for your mental health, for your body. And They're there for a reason. You feel these things for a reason. And oftentimes it's to just release. And that's really significant and been helpful for me. So
0: true. Let's talk about breathing and how breathing has helped you on this journey and, you know, breathing as it's related to mindfulness.
1: Oh, I would say deep breathing, intentional breath work is probably the most significant thing that I do and the thing that I do multiple times every day. It's so important for your nervous system. It's so important for showing your brain that you're not in a threatening state and allowing yourself to truly calm down and get into more of that parasympathetic nervous system state. So it's something that you can do in your car. You can do while you're walking. It's something that is the most accessible, easy thing to do and can have really deep, impactful and quick improvements in your body to really help yourself stay calm.
0: Yes, Laura, your book, I highly recommend and I never mentioned the subtitle, My Relentless Journey Healing Complex Trauma. And are there any other books that you would recommend? You, you mentioned, of course, already Joe Dispenza. But anything else you want to mention?
1: You know, the classic book that really also got me started on trauma healing was The Body Keeps the Score Oh yeah, uh, by Bessel van der Kolk. And I will say that that is a hard book to get through in that goes deeply, very in depth into a lot of significant patient experiences. And also it's, it's a long book, so it can, it can take some time, but it's, that's a really great place to show a lot of the physiology. I'm a science nerd and I love science. So reading all of the research as to why these just different trauma healing modalities are significant. That one is really huge. Um, And then I also love uh, Happy Days by Gabrielle Bernstein. That one was another really great great book to me. She has always been someone who writes about spirituality and manifestation and things like that. And this was kind of her first look into the vulnerabilities of her trauma and how that impacted her and how dealing with that, how much it's had an impact on her life. So I think that one's another good one as well.
0: Okay. We'll put all of that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And finally, an app. Are there any apps that you uh, would recommend to anyone that's you know suffering from trauma?
1: Yeah. So I love the balance app. So, um, right, through HeartMath, yeah, so, um, you can buy this little device and you just clip it onto your ear and that measures your heart rate. And so that's a really great tool. I actually just did it, uh, this morning. And so you can do it in under five minutes, clip it onto your ear and it cues you to breathe in a way to, um, increase your heart rate variability, and basically just induce a more relaxed state. And so with that, uh, it's a great visual cue, because sometimes I think, oh, I'm deep breathing, this is helping. But sometimes my breaths really are not as effective in calming me down. And sometimes that extra cue of seeing that can be really helpful. That's probably my favorite app. Um, I've also used in the past the Calm app for meditations and things like that but for the most part I'm a big fan of just YouTube even for especially for tapping and meditation resources I feel like that's a great resource you can choose anything from a couple of minutes to an hour and it's free and very accessible anywhere.
0: Okay, well thank you for answering those quick questions. I want to ask you about meditation because you've mentioned tapping you've mentioned some other things, but let's talk about meditation is that part of your life.
1: Yeah. Oh, I meditate just about every every morning, Um, even for just sometimes five minutes. And meditation is such a great way to get out of my thoughts and get out of future tasks and all the things that I have to do that day. It's a really good way to kind of ground myself and feel into my body and get really calm And get into a really just centered state before taking on my day. Because I'm sure many people can relate. It's really easy to just wake up and go and think about this. Then you have to do this. And then there's this. And you're just constantly go, go, go. And not really thinking about how you're feeling or relaxing. You're just constantly focused on the next thing. And so meditation is a really great way to kind of start your day to kind of stay centered. And just get into an elevated mood. And really just relax yourself to kind of take on the day.
0: Right. Well, I applaud you for putting all of this out there so that other people who are suffering can benefit from your experience because that is not easy to do. What are your plans for the future? Are you planning another book or planning? What's up?
1: Great question. I'm still trying to find some clarity with that. At, um, At the current moment, I'm just kind of deep in learning, in the learning phase. I'm taking a lot of courses around nervous system regulation, doing a lot of seminars on the brain and neuroplasticity and stress and how that impacts really every part of your body. So I'm just kind of taking it all in at the moment. I'm absolutely open to writing another book. Um, I love speaking. I love talking about my experience. So I'm really just for the first time in my life, which would have scared you know Laura from a year and a half ago to death, thinking that I don't have plans, I'm just seeing where it takes me. But that's feels really empowering right now. And it's really exciting to see kind of where things go.
0: So Laura, what part of the world are you from? So I'm thinking if someone would want to have you come as a speaker, would you go anywhere? Or what's what's happening with that?
1: Yeah, I'm, I currently live in Denver, Colorado. And um, I'm really open to anything at this point. Um, I'm a big fan of just accepting invitations that feel aligned with me. And so I am open to pretty much anything at this point and just kind of getting my feet wet and seeing what feels good and what doesn't and seeing what path, you know, sounds the best and is able to help just my, not just myself, but also help other people. That's really important to me.
0: Yeah, good. The website is laurarenner.me. And do you have any final words of advice, Laura, as we wrap up the interview today?
1: Yeah, so I think the big thing is, just opening up this conversation. So I I so appreciate you having me here and having this podcast to do so, because I think, you know, even though we've made a lot of progress with trauma healing and being more open about our past experiences and things like that, I think just globally, it's still a little scary for a lot of people, which understandably so. It's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to show the dark parts of yourself and things that happen to you for fear of judgment and whatnot. I can completely resonate with that. But I think starting to talk about things like mental health and trauma and really just opening up that dialogue stops perpetuating that cycle of fear of talking about it. And so I think being open and also just being open to the idea that you're not okay That was kind of the whole premise behind the title of my book. No, I'm not fine. We're all used to just saying that, yeah, we're fine, even when we're not. And it's totally okay to say, I'm not okay. I'm not fine. And open up those conversations to kind of start engaging in healing and things like that.
0: Well, Laura, thank you again. And uh, I appreciate the work that you're doing. All the best to you.
1: Thank you so much, Bruce. I really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.